I put an unhealthy amount of time into that game, which I love. So you being willing to come on, that's it's a treat for me. I love about Divinity Original Sin 2. I think it's the only game I can think of where you can play an undead skeleton character who can bone, which I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know how you came to that idea, but it is hilarious. My God, if we had to, if we had to make this work in cinematics, it would have been a very different game. And seeing the game come to life through through the cinematics has been just incredible. It's been a wonderful experience. Part of me, I, part of my problem though, I think is what you guys have is that you did too good of a job. The problem is I don't want to leave Baldur's Gate 3. I was like, it's ended. And I'm like, oh, it, it ended too soon. And I look at my Steam clock. I have 267 hours. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Culturescape, the show that interviews the geek creators and influencers that built nerd culture. Today we have a special guest as we talk about my new favorite RPG, Baldur's Gate 3, with senior writer Stephen Rooney. For those unaware, Baldur's Gate 3 is a mega RPG success developed by Larian Studios that is now available on PC and PS5. If you love immersive storytelling or epic fantasy, you should definitely check it out. Stephen is Larian's go-to undead specialist. He is the guy in charge of writing for Vampires and Skeletons. He worked previously on Divinity Original Sin 2, another amazing RPG from Laren, where he created the memorable character of Thane, the undead skeleton hero, which he collaborated on with Chris Avalone. In Baldur's Gate 3, Stephen wrote, this time, Astarian, which is the popular vampire origin character who is voiced and portrayed by the fabulous actor Neil Newbone. In this episode, we're going to learn about the wide world of video game writing what it was like working on Baldur's Gate 3, the current state of the game, and how great characters like Thane and Astarian came to unlife. And of course, viewers, we have our stupid nerd question of the day. We're going to ask Steven, what is your favorite and least favorite undead characters in fiction and mass media? Of course, outside of your own creations, because that'd be cheating. Uh, will he choose The Walking Dead, perhaps? Castlevania? Well, to find out, You'll have to stay tuned. And if you like what you hear today, please be sure to comment below. Okay. And now with our long intro out of the way, welcome to the show, Steven. Thank you so much, Peter. It's lovely to be here. I I am pleased as a peach. I have, I was, I'm almost, I'm almost, it's like I'm kind of proud, but also a little ashamed. I think I have 260 some hours on my Steam account for Baldur's Gate 3 since that game came out. Now, a lot of that, I was like, the computer was just on. I was, you know, going to do something else. But sure. st- I, I put an unhealthy amount of time into that game, which I love. <laughs> so you being willing to come on, that's it's a treat for me. So I appreciate that. It's it's an absolute pleasure. It's just, it's great to see people kind of enjoying the game and kind of sinking, sinking so much time into it. Um, I mean, between the, the time people spent in, in early access and now kind of coming through to play through the whole game. Um, it's been it's been an absolute delight to see people kind of discovering it, rediscovering it again. No, I, I I really think it's awesome. I have not enjoyed a game like Baldur's Gate three probably since the original Dragon Age Origins and and Awakening, which was uh, kind of its expansion. And I felt like Bioware never quite captured that spirit ever again. And you guys have just nailed it. It's really smart storytelling, great characterization. It's really well thought out. It's just kind of the intelligent and fun RPG I've been I've been waiting for a long time. I mean, I, there are plenty of JRPGs, but 
this is like the best Western one in probably a decade. So you guys really just knocked it out of the park. Very impressed. Thank you so much. I mean, we're we're very lucky that we have our um, CEO and, and God King, uh, Sven Vika, who's uh, like, it has been his dream for so long to kind of make like the 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 RPG kind of the the RPG that that dwarfs the ball. Um, so we, uh, I don't I don't know if he's going to be fully satisfied that he's uh, that 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 we've got there yet. But um, I mean, we're very incredibly pleased with uh, the reaction that that people have had to the game, and also just very proud of how the game has turned out because it has been. Uh, it, it's been a, a long time coming, and uh, no, it's great to see it end in the wild. So let's talk a little bit about your background before we get into video game writing. Before you got into writing, are you a gamer at all? Did you play RPGs or have interest in that kind of fiction? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been a, a gamer for most of my life, so I I don't have, I, I think, a lot of the, the long history that some people have with RPGs. I have more of a history with, with Dungeons and Dragons. I would have played that kind of as a kid, as a teenager growing up, um, and still today with friends. It was a, a, a little bit of shame to say I hadn't played the original Baldur's Gates 1 and 2 until until I found out that I was going to be working on this. There's some catching up that, that we need to do here. Um, so I had dabbled in, in RPGs, but I have a fairly broad palette when it comes to, to gaming, kind of a lot of a lot of RPGs, a lot, lot of shooters, a lot of big strategy games, grand campaign kind of kind of stuff. Yeah, that fits in well then with the, this game being a CRPG because you you definitely fit into that. At least your writing does fairly well. What edition did you mostly play on D and D? I've probably played mostly three point five D and D. Kind of there was a, nice. a lot of that. Yeah, that 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 was the 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 first edition that I came to and kind of stuck with that for uh, a good while. Uh, kind of skipped over for a little bit with my kind of gaming groups and um I've been really enjoying fifth edition as well. So D D has been has always been a treat. Yeah, Baldur's Gate 3 is is fifth edition. It it handles that system really well. And I, I wasn't a big fan of fifth edition, but this has kind of moved beyond. But yeah, I, I grew up with three, three point five as well, and that's kind of the one I hearken back to. So I get that. They are one of the great things about Dungeons and Dragons. They're great, of course, as games. But even if you were to never pick up the game and you were just going to read these books, you know, for the flavor text or the lore or even the storytelling, they're really mm-hmm. fabulous at doing that. Yeah, no, they're they're really great. the 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 hard kind of the the hardback books that you get and you go out and you, you like you buy a D and D book, the like the players have book and the monster manual. There's it, it just opens up and there's an entire world that explodes out at you. There's these kind of beautiful descriptions. There's these gorgeous images. Um, and I remember just being so attracted to, to, to D&D books when, like even long before I played, I would just see it in a comic book shop or something and just be like, wow, that's one of those beautiful things I've ever seen. This is great. So yeah. to actually get to be, to be a part of that world, it has been an, an absolute treat. It's been, it's been so nice. That is that is pretty cool. You sound a little when it comes to tabletop gaming, you're a bit of a, a nerd's nerd. How did you get though into video game writing? It's a very unique industry, even the world of entertainment writing. There's not even really there's not even necessarily a real clear path to it. It seems like everyone that ends up working in your industry has a different background from the next person. 
Yeah, and I mean that that's true across the team as well. We all like it, everyone, pretty much everyone at learning has come to writing through a, a different path. Um, my thing was, I, I I mean my path basically was, I I, I always wanted to be a writer. I absolutely worshipped Terry Pratchett going up, growing up. So I read his his biography at some point. I was like. Oh, Terry Pratchett was a journalist and then became a, a writer. I guess I'll do that. That seems like a seems like a fun way to do it. So tried to get into journalism. It turns out I, I tried to join at a, a terrible, terrible time <laughs> for journalism and people getting paid. So I, I kind of dumb lucked my way into writing ad ad copy, basically like advertising stuff, and then into uh, video games. I, I took a bit of a break to do a master's in science communication thinking I would go out and get myself a real job. And then I landed at Larian and I've been there for the last eight years. So um, it's been a, a lot of luck and uh, a, a lot of kind of just hammering on doors helps as well. But I mean, we have people on the team who've come from like sort of some screenwriting backgrounds, people who've come from games journalism, people who've come from like courses that would help you make games and things like that. There's, there's a wide variety of stuff. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, Drew Carp Carpshire, who uh, was one of the major lead writers on the original two Baldur's Gate games with uh, David Guyer and a few others, uh, he has a very similar background where he kind of just it fell into it. He had he had taken some creative writing courses in college, but that's about as far as it goes. Well, and he's like, oh, well, this is kind of interesting. And he put in an app, and they picked him up. Of course, this is Bioware before they had any games to their name, and it just yeah. kind of happened that way. Yeah, I, th I think that's the, the the commonality basically with a lot of games writers is that there's there's no set path. There's like, oh, I got into it because, well, I mean, everyone gets into it because they have a love of writing, they have a love of creating something. Like they want to be storytellers and they want to, to bring people on experience. Um, that's kind of the one commonality that I found with everyone. But for the most part, um, yeah, we're just kind of a... a bunch of weirdos who uh, who all ended up in the same the same place writing some uh hopefully hopefully madcap slightly fun kind of stuff so it's it's been a trip uh i listened to another interview you did i think you said the first you they first when you first worked at larian you they briefly made you work on the, the extended edition of i forget what they call their official edition uh for the original divinity standard then they moved you over to divinity original sin 2 how did you end up being the guy in charge of the of the undead stuff? How did how did you slide into that exactly? <laughs> I mean, that is um, that that is not an, an official title. Uh, unfortunately, as much as I would love it to be like the the Lord of the Undead uh, for Larry, plenty <laughs> of other people have done very very cool undead uh, undead writing. I just happened to end up with uh, a bunch of weird skeletons in um, it in Original Sin two and. A, a bunch of kind of creepy vampires in in um uh in BG three, it I don't know everyone seems to find a, a niche where they most naturally fit and for some reason my niche has it seems to be the niche that I've fallen into is uh slightly tragic slightly awful undead creatures so um yeah I've got through skeletons and vampires and now I'm kind of thinking like, okay, am I going to have to go through the whole list? Is it, is there going to be like a mummy next, I don't know, like a zombie or whatever else it's, um, 
No, it's it's it, Larian is nice in that you're often able to find the to to find your place in the company. Like when you find something that you're good at, you'll end up doing more and more of that thing. So, um, I I I happen to to get a kick out of out of writing the uh, undead characters. So we, it's kind Excellent. of stuff. Yeah. I, that's a good. That's a sign of a healthy company, though, if they're able to recognize talents and to help put people where they would be best used. Um, you, let me tell you, working in journalism, uh, people still don't know how to make a living doing it. So you probably yeah. looked out there, to be honest. <laughs> I think so yeah, uh, there are so many. As you know, as D and D player, there's so many great undead races and story ideas. I mean, that one could be oh, mined for a good long time. I love about Davidia Original Sin 2. I think it's the only game I can think of where you can play an undead skeleton character who can bone, which I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know how you came to that idea, but it is hilarious. I it, it but of course the game doesn't have the cinematics because that wasn't brought to the formula till this game. But yeah. it's still like pretty wild. Yeah, it was. I did kind of think back to some of the stuff that we did with Bane, and I'm like, my God, if we'd had to, if we'd had to make this work in cinematics, it would have been a very different game. And so, yeah, not, not having the cinematics was, um, in a very small way, a blessing because it meant that you could do these things that were like a bit ambiguous, whatever you just describe it in in DOS two. Um, but then again, when you see the like the actual cinematics and you see the characters coming to life in the way that they do in Baldur's Gate 3, like the, we, uh, uh, we kind of created a cinematics team basically from nothing, obviously at the, at the start of, of Baldur's Gate 3 and they grew the whole way through the process and watching how the, the game changed as the cinematics were kind of built up and built up and built up and it became so much more epic and so much more personal and so much more intimate and it just kind of it kicked everything up to 11. Um, so as as much as I do love the freedom of just being like uh, you kind of bone the skeleton we won't get into how um, having <laughs> seen the game come to life through, through the cinematics has been just incredible it's been a wonderful experience. Does that change for you writing for characters? Because now you have to you you're not just thinking as like someone that's writing flavor. You know, it's almost like you are writing a rule book for Dungeons and Dragons, where you're thinking about flavor flavored text and what has the most epic language. And now you're thinking more like a film writer, where you have to think um, more logistically. Does that greatly impact your ability to create? Do you get a lot of collaboration with the the cinematics people, or do they kind of come into the picture after your writing? Um. It it does it definitely changes how you go about approaching um, writing dialogue and also how you approach like crafting any scene because um, you have to be so much more aware of okay these are the things that can happen in cinematics and these are the things that can't realistically happen in cinematics um, and you have to be kind of much more aware of like okay if the character is going to pick something up here that is going to make this scene x times more expensive rather than if they just like wait some you know if they interact with the world around them cinematics it was much more expensive so you you narrow your focus basically um you become a bit more restricted in the things that you feel that you can do and you can't do but 
it also means that when you're crafting a scene and you're thinking, okay, I'm actually going to be able to show this. This isn't just going to be something that's going to be told. They're going to, the audience is going to see this look, this expression on their face or whatever. Um, so it, like, it very literally brings the camera from like way up here, right in, and it gives you that an intimacy that you could never otherwise craft. Um, so yeah, and it also does mean that you have to have the dialogue feel a bit more natural because again, you're, you're right there. You're with people, you're in the middle of the conversation rather than it feeling like something that's a bit more tabletop where you're, you're looking down like you were dust to. Um, and it, yeah, it, it gives you much more opportunities to create really beautiful scenes. So I'm, I'm extremely pleased you're working with it. It is really clever. That is kind of like the big innovation of this game for CRPGs. Is it bring, it brought in some of that more mass market RPG, like what Bioware would do with the cinematics. With you know, we're gonna we move the gameplay from above down to here to the to a person level, and it does add a lot to it. Uh, I know I'm a bit of a CRPG purist, but it, it does really increase. I don't know the way I feel connected to the story, the way I feel connected to the characters. The fact that the the actors that are in this that they were not only doing voice work but they were also they also had uh, motion tracking going on so it's their portrayal of the characters it does it adds like they feel very three dimensional and it all mm -hmm. just comes together I was you know th that's what was so engaging for my brain it's not that it's just intelligent it's just it is so competent and confident on all these different levels that it just leaves me very satisfied and very invested in what's happening. Yeah, no. And I mean, it does, it is one of these things where you, I would very traditionally think of um, the actors that we work with as like, oh, this is the, this is the voiceover. This is the, you know, these are the, the, the VO actors, the voiceover actors, but you're right. They're in a booth and they have a camera right here recording all of their facial expressions. They have, um, the full body motion capture suits, they have everything on and they're like, at, they're putting in tens, maybe even like hundreds of hours of acting, like all this time in the, in the booth, they, they act harder than, uh, than anyone in the theater or on TV set. Um, it's incredible work that they do. So where does where does the idea of a starring come from? Uh, your work is probably very iterative, but like what what was the seed of the idea for this character you put together? Because he's a very interesting character. He's kind of like uh, he's kind of like uh, a vampire in a toxic relationship. Yeah, um, that I, I'm not sure that was exactly the seed, but it it, it, would, it very very quickly became clear that that was what the, the character was and that that's what that's what was at the core of his story um basically we have a a vampire who is not not powerless but like you have he's he's a vampire spawn which we had to do because if he was an actual vampire as a nerd yourself you know vampires are very powerful creatures in mm -hmm. in dungeons and dragons so we had to make him a vampire spawn. That means that he had to have a master. Um, but if he had to have a master, it means he had to be kind of removed from his master. So you end up with this situation where you have a character who is 
in theory very powerful and is working towards being kind of is is chasing that power and that that freedom um but at the same time is also incredibly weak and incredibly vulnerable and playing off that that dichotomy between um a hunger for power and a, a very real vulnerability um even though obviously we had to make sure that he could actually walk in the sun otherwise it's a very difficult game to play and um, so some of the vampire vulnerabilities a, he, came. he needs something like a big umbrella like like a that really big great. umbrella yeah actually we should have just done that I would have saved you would have saved on the whole tadpole thing um no we very we hit on what was what was cool and interesting and what was at the emotional core of that character very early on but how we told that story into the um, like we, we knew very early on kind of where a start what his starting point was and it was fairly clear what his end point was going to be that he was going to have to come to terms with his master he was going to have to try and like figure out his place in the world and these kind of bigger decisions that you build towards in the end of the game not to spoil too much um but that that middle part we we iterated a, a lot around that trying to just figure out okay what's this journey going to look like what who are the characters he's going to encounter what is what are the choices the players are going to make and how are we going to get from this point which we know to this point which we know um so that was kind of the the adventure for us really, just trying to figure out uh getting it from from a to b and just everything in the middle that is a good point that it does take um clever and solid writing i love a star as a character he's he's fun because if he's in my party he's kind of the enabler he's good he's gonna enable <laughs> some little some toxic bad behavior but he also yeah. is he's also really fun because it's like these are really effed up situations and he's mm-hmm. just kind of enjoying the ride and i i like that attitude especially you know when you're dealing with some of the other companions of, of your party who are who are a bit more um they put on more airs and feel like they're above everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, no, we're just, just get to go there and get down the mud. So I love that about that character. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's it. It's one of the things that makes him really fun to really fun to write that he does have this very, um, I, I, I hadn't thought of him as, as an enabler before, but you're absolutely right. Like there's, there's so many times where he will just like prop the player just to like you know, the bad thing you really want to do. You could though. You could just kill this person <laughs> and steal all their stuff. Like that would be fine. And um, that's very much kind of the the, the attitude and the energy that you break and switch. And it is again is a lot of fun. Um, but again, hopefully, kind of tinging that with a sense of uh, I don't know. It it's that line between someone being evil or a bit naughty or just a straight up like bad bad person and um, mm-hmm. and Astarian has he has he has a lot of baggage he has a lot of uh damage that he brings to the story um but hopefully just enough humanity that 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 people feel engaged and people really want to um walk with him on the on the journey that he goes through in the game did you have any like personal experience with like uh domestic abuse or or had experience with like some toxic people in your own life or that you knew 
I thought the way you handled with, because I think in most mass media, when it comes to talking about abuse, it's very black and white. You know, the abuse mm-hmm. victims are very pure and innocent and they did no wrong and they, the abusers are like as evil as you can. You know, in life, it's usually some mix of the two. It's very, it's more gray. Um, one of the things yeah. I really like about Astarian that you handled well is, you know, he he flickers between these these two these two wave lengths, right? He could be yeah. kind of wicked, but kind of kind of a good guy, and you as a character can kind of help guide him. Uh, not to get not so we're not gonna do any back three spoilers, but one of my favorite moments in Act Two, you when you're hunting down the cult of the absolute, you can go to the cult's base. And there's mm-hmm. a gal there who is obsessed with um, studying bl- magic and the blood. And so she finds out you have a vampire with you and she's so excited and she'll give you a special plus two to strength potion if you have a Starian drink her blood. And he, mm-hmm. you kind of have to coax him into it. And after it, he really hates it. And so, and you can talk with him and you can be like, well, a star, you know, what does this mean for you? Does it, you know, because now you're doing this, you're not being made to do this. How does that affect you? And uh, I thought it was quite an intelligent, almost a, a moving moment because he's like, you know, I don't have to put myself through this anymore. I, I was paid to in the past, but mm-hmm. I'm now my own person. I don't need to do that. And I thought that was exceedingly well written and uh, really stood out as one of the moments in the game. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, I mean, I, I was lucky. Like, Astarian has been kind of, I, I've been the main writer for him but there, it has been like a collaborative process the the whole way through and um Baudelaire Welch one of our narrative directors um or, uh, I think that's their title uh did kind of help a lot with those um with with some of those scenes so it is uh like I think probably like like with a lot of writing there's a there's always bits of yourself that you that you put into it um even if they're not like direct analogies um a lot of the time so uh i hope the stuff that lands there feel or the stuff that's there lands and feels true to people and feels um i guess it feels like it, it's handled as well as it can be it's it's always a difficult topic to 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 kind of touch on you have to deal with it with sensitivity but also try and have a certain amount of like the emotion the like visceral emotion that come with, can come with it so um i think we we walk that line kind of as best we could and we try to be very uh aware ourselves about like okay is this are we hitting the right tone here are we hitting the right tone here is this too much is this not enough is this doing justice to the experience that um, people may see in this? So, um, yeah, it was it was a difficult one, but I I, th- I think and, and and hope we managed to get how complicated those kind of dynamics can be. It is, it it, it really is, and I think it's so it's incredible that the way you as a character engage with him will change his attitude on how he feels or perceives the di- these different things and what his trajectory is. And it's not in the sense, and this is what you guys did even better than the older Bioware games, where it was very much, you could like, you could, you know, you could like straight line them to good, straight line them to bad. Them to bad. Oh, yeah. you, you know, I can fix you. <laughs> <laughs> but but in this yeah. game, it's like, I can, I can help you a little bit, but the, you're still, this guy's still determining their trajectory. Like, 
with Gale the wizard. You can help him come to terms or not, but he's still going to make a ter- some bad decisions there. I'm trying hard not to get into spoilers, uh, yeah. which I think I think is so smart because that's what all good fiction does. It's it's these you know these characters have a life beyond what our our protagonist has. They have their own feelings, motivations, goals, and it's not yeah. like you know our character's world and the world revolves around him. So yeah, no, yeah, no. I I think it's um the the things that as you see a lot are, are people saying like oh there's this character and I can fix them and there's this character and I can make them worse and I feel like Larry is very good <laughs> at we're we're very good at providing the two options um but also I I get what you mean you, you see it a lot in games where you have character it starts at point A and you can go to straight line to to, to bad and straight line to good um. And one of the things that's very important to us when we're writing, when we're designing these characters, is that it doesn't feel like that. Like you get this sense that this is a, a messy journey for these characters, and they are going to go through. Uh, well, they're all going to take their own path. They're all going to go through their own like process, um, and it's important that it isn't just like a simple binary of. Uh, at this point in the game, the player makes the decision, and then you get the good ending with the bad ending. Where one of the things that makes um, working on these games a lot of fun and really rewarding, but just sometimes an absolute nightmare, is try to keep track of all the different permutations and all the different endings. Because you can be like, okay, at this point in the game, we made this choice, which was kind of good. But then at this point in the game, we made this choice, which is kind of bad. So you end up in this gray area here where you get something others and each character has um, their laundry list of, of possible outcomes and it's uh it, it means when you're looking at at the end of the game and you're like trying to stop a character's journey from the whole way through it gets complicated um but yeah but it is it, it is very very satisfying when it lands and when it works yeah, because you're not just writing one. You're not just writing one story. It's like you're writing one of those. You know, they're popular in the '80s and '90s, like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of book. Oh yeah, I love those. You have, to, you have to like think like all the different ways the, this this story has to peel off because in case they choose a different option, I imagine that is difficult uh, as a as a writer. I I even as a player, it seems like a lot to keep track of. Yeah. It, uh, it 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 is. We're we're lucky that we spend so much time with these characters that we there's a lot of that knowledge that we'll just hold in our heads and we'll be able to say, okay, well they did this in Act Two and well, they did they could have done these different things in Act Three. So it's we generally are able to keep track of it, but when you have to start listing stuff and when you have to start looking through dialogues that can count for all the different things, um, it. It really feels like a choose-your-own-adventure novel uh, story sometimes where you're, you're jumping to page 15 and then you're going back to page like 7 and then jumping forward to page 83. It's just, it's a bit chaotic, but it, it's, it's real good fun. So you did have a good long time to work on this project because I think that BG3 has been in development about six years, I think. And then three of those, half of those were early access. So the first act, in its myriad of forms was available for some players to get help you guys um basically beta test it alpha test it yeah um, what was it what is it like working on a project that long and, and watching 
the game evolved and your own stories evolved with it. COVID definitely didn't uh, help it in, in the middle of it. I think we all would have would have enjoyed it, but it had been like a slightly shorter process. Uh, that that did make the development process more difficult. But um, you, you go on as much of a journey as the characters do, really. Like you see the story change from the 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 starting point when you when when you first start looking at a at a game. And like the story will be sketched out in whatever form will be as complete or incomplete as it as it happens to be at that point. Um, and you just see the iteration process kind of roll on. It, it's it's difficult because sometimes you you will have you you will have ideas in your head of like oh wasn't wasn't this character meant to do that thing and then you're like no we we cut that three years ago. Um, but if you just haven't been like working on an area, if you haven't been working on a character, you can kind of lose track of it. Um, so on the one hand, it means that you're very, very intimately kind of aware of everything that you've worked on, on the journeys that your characters have gone on, that your parts of the story, the areas, the, the different places that you, where, where you've mostly written characters, how they've changed. Um, but it also means that it's an absolute treat when the game comes out because now I can look play through these different areas that I had little to nothing to do with and I'm finding a story that is completely different to something that I remember. And I'm like, oh God, the people who've been working on this have just done an amazing job and I get to I get to, to experience it all brand new, fresh, just neatly like any other player. Um so it it is it, it has its ups and downs, definitely. It's been a roller coaster development. I should have made this my first question, but are you playing Baldur's Gate three? So it sounds like the answer to that is yes. Um, I I am. Yeah. No. Prior to prior to launch, we did. I mean, obviously, the the writing has to stop at some point because the the lines you're writing for your actors, you write them, they go to the actors, they get recorded, they come back, they go through cinematics, they. There's there's a whole long kind of process, so there is this relatively short period before the game comes out where writers and, and certain other teams don't have a whole lot to do. So we were just playtesting the hell out of the game. Uh, we we're just playing it kind of through as much as we could, um, and I've worked on when I've worked on other games, there has been this sense of like oh, I've been looking at this thing for like so many years it's the last thing in the world i want to see land still having fun with bg3 is the is the actual miraculous thing and um, and i am still i am still like i'm, I'm gonna be playing it this weekend um i have i i, I have a, a playthrough where i'm uh in in act three i'm moving around Baldur's gate and i'm like no i need to i want to go back and explore that that little crypt actually that i hadn't looked at properly before i want to see what's going on in there and um, so yeah, I, I am still having fun with it. So what did you what did you roll? Are you uh, who did you choose for your origin character? What what class are you doing? I'm curious. Um, I have a uh, I have a half orc barbarian uh, for this this particular one, which I felt great about right up until I met Carlac and was like, oh man, I already had a barbarian. I should have done a monk. My next playthrough is going to be monk. I, I've never I've actually never played monk, and I keep finding these gloves that improve my uh, unarmed strikes and stuff and I'm like 
yeah mm, okay i just i just need to do this because i feel terrible that i can't have all these items that i can't use them, other than feed them to gail so <laughs> um yeah no that's cool i did uh a warlock tiefling i did not do dark urge i'm a little regretting that so i think the next time i go through i'll have to do dark urge Typically, when I play the your the previous ga games that Larian does, I don't usually I usually choose to basically create your own character origin story, not so much the the other ones. I kind of feel like Baldur's Gate is more designed for that per se than even those were. But no, it's it's an excellent game. It's so much fun. The multiplayer works. Um, I, I've enjoyed the heck out of it. Really, really did. Uh, so here's a, here's a good question. So how did the game evolve? When you're working on, especially when you hit early access, because now you've you've spent three years. It's just you and the other people in the company, and then now you're putting it out to the public. I know early access because I did play early access, not like months and months. You know, I I'm not as dedicated as some people. Um, I do, I'm also bad at doing homework. Uh, More than sorry. fair, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, lots of changes, many many changes happen. Like for example, there was a whole. There's a whole plot line with Minthar, the Dark Elf, where she gets pregnant. You kind of have to balance all that and all that. Now that's completely different. I mean, tons of big changes. How, how does that affect you as a writer? Is it, is it like you getting, are you getting notes for the devs that are like, oh, they hate this all. You have to change it right now. Um, it, it, it's not, it, it's not that, that severe. The thing is, once you put, um, when we put the game out into early access, people obviously come back with with opinions thick and fast. Um, and so if there's something that there's normally, as a writer, you will normally have kind of a sense like, oh, I think something isn't quite working here. Um, or, oh, there's something that like I it would be nice to add here, but like we didn't have the time or whatever. And then as soon as you put the a game out, and all the feedback starts flooding in, those choices suddenly become very, very crystal clear. And it, it feels like, okay, this thing that I was kind of humming and hawing over, like it to include or not include, it actually feels like it's a huge hole that, that players are noticing. So we need to we need to plug that, we need to fix that. So it's a very, very good way of giving yourself perspectives on these are the things that we need to change or fix or improve. Um, the we're quite strict though about it's very important that when it comes to the solutions for these things that they come from that they come from us and um, there's never really a point where people say like oh all these players want this character to go on this path or to make this decision and um, it's i think i think it's it's a neil gaming um quote where he, he said people are very very good at telling you what's wrong with the story but very very bad telling you how to fix it um <laughs> yes I th yeah that does sound right yeah. yeah uh that is that 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 is basically it. it it's getting feedback from people is a very good way to um to highlight the places where you're you're not doing well enough so it's always good afterwards to come back with a renewed sense of Okay, we know we, we now have a much clearer idea of the stuff we need to fix. We're going to come up with ideas on how to fix it, and we're going to deliver kind of a much better game. And you can see the the polish, I think, especially when playing through Act One. I was really surprised 
um, on my old playthroughs, going through Act One again and just being like, "Wow, this feels much tighter than it did certainly in in, in early access." Um, so the, having that longer thing just means that you get to iterate on stuff again. It means you have a fresh perspective on everything that you put out, and like a renewed vigor to fix it. Because now you can see people are having a whole lot of fun here, but it's not working here. You want people to enjoy every single thing they touch. Part of me, I, part of my problem though, I think is what you guys have is that you did too good of a job. The problem is I don't want to leave Baldur's Gate 3. I was like, it's ended. And I'm like, oh, it, it ended too soon. I look at my steam clock. I have 267 hours. I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, maybe yeah. it's me. Maybe it's just I mean, me. You, you, you still have a Dark Rage playthrough right here, but uh, it's, no, I, I, I know it, this kind of the difficulty with any, with, with any part of media where you, you, you have such a good time going through the, uh, exploring a world that's been, that's being created, whether it's in game or film or a series of books. And at some point you, you have your Alexander the Great moment where you, you hit the end and there's no more world to explore. There's no more world to, to conquer kind of, um, and you're like, well, is, is, is this it? Do I just, do I just shed a tear or, um, I can, I, I can really relate to that. What do they do with their, their writers since the project is finished? Do they just keep you guys on standby? How, how does that work? Do they're like, just hold on and. Every now and then they send you an email. We need you to write something like this. There's there's always something to do. Um, so, I mean, whether it's the, the the team is doing various bits and pieces. Some of us are, uh, for some people, it's still playtesting. For some people, it's bug fixing. Um, we've been working on uh, largely that there is writing content that's still going on. And that's going into like the patches, like you said, Carlac has. Mm-hmm. As a, a new ending that was added so that obviously requires work so um yeah it's not like months and months of, of lead time if we want to do to do fixes here and there thankfully so um there is everyone is still busy no one's just sitting around unfortunately just uh it enjoying um just sitting on our laurels and enjoying the, the experience I, that's really interesting, though, that they, they seem to... I like Larian because obviously it's had a lot of success, but it does have the attitude of a smaller studio where it's like everyone hands on deck, people doing multiple types of different jobs, keeping everyone busy. I, I, I really like that because that's kind of how Bioware used to be back in the day. It was everyone's doing something of everything, and it, it's great because it turns out really great product that's very cohesive and it sounds like that's the way Ilarian is still now yeah um, I mean Larian has that kind of like small company energy for uh, most of the, the entire time that I that I've been here I've been with Larian for about eight years um like you said earlier I, I came in kind of when they were wrapping up on the extended edition of um the first original sin so it was i think it was it was mostly just kind of the the belgian studio at that point and they were setting up in in dublin and in quebec as well and so the as the games have gotten bigger and as we've gotten more ambitious with the stuff that we've wanted to do the company has 
like expanded a lot. Um, but there is still that, I think we try to keep that ethos of giving people the freedom to experiment with things, that kind of small company vibe of trying to make sure people have the freedom to do not whatever they want, but like to, to, to wear different hats as much as possible and find their role in the company as, as best they can. That is so awesome to hear. Uh, and it, obviously it's paying off. I think about what's happened to some of these game companies in the past, including, you know, Bioware, which created the first two Baldur's Gate and how they got purchased by EA. And slowly, most of the original staff filtered it out till they lost even, you know, even the writers. They just lost the guy for um, that wrote the character of Varric. He's a dwarf character that's uh, prominent in Dragon Age 2 and Inquisition. Yeah. Now she's gone. I'm like, who else is in this company? They fired David uh Gator, and he was like their Dragon Age writer. He even wrote the books for them. And it's yeah. like no one from the original team there is left. And you, you think, well, now do you guys just have nine to five people and suits? And you know, it doesn't it doesn't have the same spirit anymore. And I don't know. I, I would hope, and I do hope that Larian continues to 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 keep that. You seem like you have an interesting boss. I love that video where he announces the game and he's wearing a full suit of armor with a sword. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Does he no. ever does he ever come to work like that? He's like, "Good morning, boys," and you know he's in this full plate. I, meal I, I don't I don't get to spend anywhere near enough time in the in the, the Belton studio. Unfortunately, I mean, I have I have definitely been in in calls with people before when I was over there, and he has just kind of clanked halves in the background, um, because he will have been <laughs> he was have been recording some some update video, um, uh, yeah, no, it. The Sven is uh, the Sven is a god. It's it, he's just a whirlwind of energy and creativity. It's um, it, it's hard to describe really, but it's one of the things that that he is probably the single most thing that makes Larian as as unique as it is. Um, he's he's very driven to make just incredible quality games so i incredible respect for him for that oh many years uh, many years of health then to spend please mm -hmm. don't don't lose spend um it's interesting what was it like working with wizards of the coast because uh someone had leaked a sheet of some of the demands that or they had put together a sheet of the demands that wizards of the coast had made for certain characters like you meet some of the original characters i mean you meet some of the characters from the original games and a few of them have drastically different personalities because when those games came out to win Wizards of the Coast added them to their books, they wrote them in a very different way. And people were like, well, why did this character change so much? Well, it's because Wizards of the Coast told him to. Were there any concerns like that? Were you told when you were writing, Wizard says it has to be this way? Um, I, I, I had very little like direct uh, contact with, 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 with Wizards. My understanding is um, I've, I've, no one has ever told me like, we need to do it this way because Wizards said so. Like it, it's been, very, the game is very much driven by Larian's ethos and, and the creativity that we, that we wanted to make sure was, was present and like not, um, compromise on that. I, I don't think we were ever required to, to, to compromise on it. And so I, as I understand, there okay. was a very good relationship with with wizards but... so that might that might just be um heedless internet rumor then 
uh, in, in entirely possible. I, it's not anything I know anything about. Uh, yeah, I, you I, worked at Larian, so I I don't want to get you in trouble in any way. That's it's very important. If I someone come on my show, I don't ruin their life. Um, so I'm very careful. Oh, great, yeah. Uh, but, and likewise, uh, uh, I, I hope people who come on your show do the, do not ruin yours. Yes, um, please. Yeah, I uh, only one or two I've tried. Uh, what I was gonna say is, uh, Wizard of the Coast as a company with Dungeons and Dragons, since you are a D and D player, right now is kind of. They're not on the best of terms with people at the moment, uh, especially with some of the some of the SR changes they made. So when this came out, this was like full frontal Dungeons and Dragons. It, it really was a breath of fresh air, um, and it made me really happy. So it is interesting that it is at this time where Wizards is probably least liked than it's ever been. That they probably came out with the game that's most D and D that they've ever had. I kind of I like that I like kind of that weird dichotomy. But I think I heard your boss say that they had the they, they had to really um, court Wizards of the Coast, and then they had to purchase the rights to to make Baldur's Gate. Um, I mean, the, there definitely was a um, like a a, a, a process. I, I think that was, I I I don't know what kind of overtures have been made um before but like I, I i know that it was only after um divinity kind of original sin 2 came out that we were uh that i, I think that conversation was and they could see the quality that like larian could deliver um i i think that gave them a lot more confidence that actually you know if someone is if, if we're going to trust larian with um with a, a, an IP like Baldur's Gate, um, then they are actually the people for the job that they, you know, they've, they've put out um, Original Sin 2. It had a lot of the the freedom that we, we wanted it to have. It had kind of the interesting storytelling and it had a lot of things that people would experience in a Dungeons & Dragons game, even at a Game Master. Um, so there was... I think they were able to look at, at DOS 2 and see a lot of what they would have liked to see in Baldur's Gate 3. And that probably gave them the confidence to um, be much more open to uh, yeah, licensing kind of agreements and stuff like that. Again, very much not my uh, very much not my field. I don't I don't have any like great insight into that. Uh one of the other I mean, this kind of plays into the same the same theme. Um and you, you're probably because you are a bit of a gamer. You may be some aware. After that, uh, Baldur's Gate three came and was doing really well. There was this weird kind of anti Baldur's Gate three stuff going on with the game dev community, where people were feeling that Baldur's Gate three had set too high of a bar of the impression of what a game could provide, especially at launch. Which was I didn't I didn't quite know what to do. And part of the add to that, I thought your boss in one of the interviews he made this really good point. I think he gave this with. Um, Washington Post of Gene Park, who I'm a big uh, Gene Park, who I'm a huge fan of, amazing game journalist. And it's like people are acting like, you know, we just took this hugely popular IP and we just made a game on it. It was so easy. When it's like no one had been talking or thinking about Baldur's Gate in almost 20 years, and he's completely right on that. But people treated Larian, especially those first two weeks, just kind of like mean girls almost like they were kind of jealous they were kind of sniping back thankfully now starfield 
is now the way everyone's bullying. So they moved on from that. <laughs> but oh, uh, sure. I, I felt the attitude there was kind of, I don't know. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was very Astarian like. It was a little bit of that petty jealousy <laughs> going on. Oh God. Um, I, I, I don't know. I know there was a lot of, I know there was a lot of discourse around, around it. Um, I, uh, I, I, I don't know how much of it was like clickbaity or how much it was trying to get people riled up. Um, from what I read of like the original thread, I think that people were talking about it. The message that I took from it was basically, um, it we're, we're very excited for Baldur's Gate three, but please don't expect like every indie developer to be able to deliver on a game of this size and scale, which is a, a totally reasonable point. Um, there, uh, I I will say that like nothing about the making of BG three came easy. Um, like Sven is Sven was was absolutely right with kind of what you said. It's not like we just grabbed grabbed an IP and went skipping through the bills. We had to build up the entire company. We had to build up the the apparatus to actually make this game. And then we had to make it through through COVID, through lockdowns, through um a a, a very long iterative process. Um like it was not uh it was not easy, but I, the thing that I will say is the feedback that I've seen from game devs kind of at launch and since launch has been incredibly popular. And it's been like so many people going out there, having fun with the game, sharing their experiences. Um, it's been, it's been really great. And everyone, uh, I, I, I think game devs want to see games do well, whether it's their own or like anyone else's. I, I don't think there's anywhere near as much, um, kind of bad blood as people seem to be implying. As there as there might have been, so, um, yeah, I I, I don't. Know. No, no, I, I I appreciate your your perspective because I am not, I've not worked in game development. I think it's extremely interesting field. It's something I'd love to write about more and understand more. But you know, you do get that was kind of like the big discourse for about two weeks in August. So I thought, well, I yeah. have you here, might as well ask what you thought of it. <laughs> sure. Um, what what do you guys hope to do with Larian next? Have you do you is there because the creative director for this game has just moved on? Um, it sounds like he's hoping to move on to something else. Or, or is Larian starting to look at new projects to take on? Obviously, you couldn't tell me what they are. Or is the focus still we got to get this game finished before that? Basically, the stuff that that I can say is we are uh, we have some patches coming up we, we want to make sure that the game is working kind of as best it can um and we're we're really looking forward to to what we can do in the future uh but i have, have no details beyond that sorry what would you like to do what you know what would you like to cover you said that you've covered skeletons you've covered vampires you know what what's next you just did elephants maybe you could do like a, a necro yeah. outfit or a, I, 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 don't I, I i don't know i don't know um Things with the big tongues. <laughs> there's there, there's such a wide variety of, of monsters and weird undead creatures and just the freaks and weirdos out there um, that I'm uh, I, I, I'm not sure what I'd love to to dive into next. 
Uh, I mean, I have written a couple of characters that people seem to think are very, well, are like intellectual or witty on some level. And um, it would just be, it would be nice to write an absolute moron. That would be fun. Um, but, um, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I'm looking forward to whatever, whatever it's going to be though. I've, I've had tremendous fun over the last uh, eight years and I'm sure, I'm sure what comes next will be just as fun, if not more so. Okay. What, what other characters did you write for BG3? Did you assist in writing? So, uh, Austerian is there. Did they, did you get to like write? the other people surrounding him so you like would handle the different vampire characters or or uh how yeah did... I, I did a lot of the uh, a lot of characters kind of relating to a story and it, it tends to be easiest if the origin writer will also like the the people in that origin's kind of periphery so um historians master casador and a lot of the like some of the other uh, other creepy qualities uh, around Casador and Nostarian that you meet along the way. Yeah, I'm not trying to be conscious of spoilers. Um, and uh, who else did I? I don't. There's there's so many characters that have passed through a bunch of a, a bunch of different people's hands. And like I did, I did the most of the Drider. I did like a little bit of Catherine Form. I did more NPCs than I can count kind of at like little NPCs dotted around the place that I can count. Um, but I also wouldn't want to stick my flag on those and be like, no, oh, those are my characters because it's a very collaborative process in, in a lot of, in a lot of cases. So, and uh, yeah, you don't know gets... if one of your coworkers is like really married to the, uh, to the drider. They're like, no, you don't understand. I made that character an inspiration of my grandfather. How could you say that, David? I think possible. It's um, I do know I I, I do know uh, that the 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 writer that did um, Anti Ethel. There was a when I asked her kind of about the um, kind of the inspiration about that. It was just like just my grandmother, just kind of just an old an old cantankerous Irish grandmother. Um, so uh, <laughs> yeah, no, every everyone brings their own thing to the game. Some of the characters. Awesome. I, you know, and any stuff with the Fae is also excellent. I like the Dryer character. I felt like they don't really do much with him after he, he, he walks you through the cursed woods there. But, uh, yeah, you can't have everything. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, I just like the game. So I'm like hearing all this kind of stuff. And I appreciate you being willing to share it. No, of course. Uh, I mean, uh, there's... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, was there anything that didn't make it to the final game that you were hoping? Um, the 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 stuff that that didn't make it to the final game is probably like a, another. Well, I would say another game unto itself because that was not stuff that went the whole way through development. But there there have been so many different ideas and and things kind of over the uh, over the course of development that would have been great. Um. I will, this is probably going to just be another really tedious answer of like, oh, I just can't really think of anything that's a good example that, um, that, that would be great to, great to share. Cause again, there's always, I don't know, there's always a slight chance that stuff might get, might get reused somewhere else further down the line for something different. Um, there's a lot of times where you have just like a good idea and it'll just stick 
in your head and you're like, well, I didn't have a great place for it in, in this game, but maybe in the next one, I'll find some, somewhere for, for this scene. So, um, that would be, that would be fun. Did you have any of that from Divinity Original Sin 2 into this? Did you feel like you carried what you had done there or ideas that you couldn't use there into this project? Uh, I don't think anything that really made it. There, there were a couple of things or there were a couple of ideas that I would have played around with. Um, but nothing kind of great. There, I, I did have an idea at one point that I, I really would have loved to do, which was just where um, you try to try to teach Minsk how to play chess or the uh, the, the equivalent of of, of chess and uh, just uh, just a, I really enjoy fun silly stupid little scenes like that where stakes are very low and you can just have a, a bit of fun with with characters. Um, those are the, the, a lot of those are are my favorite kind of things to things to play with. It feels like you have the most the most freedom, but also connects you the most to a character. So, um, I don't know if you could get yeah. into play chess though. That might be, that would be tough. Well, maybe I don't. Uh, know. Maybe you would just play with Boo. Maybe Boo would act. Maybe he just be doing Boo whatever would be Boo told him. Chess, actually, Boo would probably kick everyone's ass. Yeah. I like I like him in this game. I also like to hear. I know a lot of people are complaining, but I played the original game, so I like having some of these people return. I I just think Matt Mercer is so fun. Uh, he is just a he's such a fun voice actor with such a great personality. So it's like more mints, the better in my view. Yeah, no, and the the mint lines are just like, um, I think Rory Moore was the the, the writer for for him, and there's there's a lot of times where you're looking at um say a dialogue and like all the um there will there will be a point where like whatever origin you have can interject a little bit into the dialogue and so you have just a list of all the different lines this is what gail would say this is what a star girl says whatever we'll say and a lot of the time when i'll i would look to i'm like open up the dialogue file and be like okay you have to write this a starting line you'll qu I'll quickly scan every nelson's lines and means we're always just Golden Minsk and uh, Karlak always had such brilliant things to say. It always made me very happy every time I got to read them. So, what what do you guys have a, a certain program that you use for dialogue? I know some other companies I've read sometimes that might even use something like Excel. It's very basic, uh, but it sounds like you guys probably have something fancier than just oh, that. We 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 have an, an internal uh, editor, so it's not it, it's not a third party software. It's okay. just it's interesting that Larry has has built over the years and and controls, so it's great. It means that um, if there's a feature that you need or something, you can kind of poke someone and be like, "Hey, would it be would, would it be a huge deal if you could add this?" Um, so it's it's wonderful to have that and bit of flexibility. Instead of trying to you know to to um, quite the actual whoever owns the software like. Like Unreal is like famously stingy at uh, adjusting or adapting things. Mm. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Well, I don't have too many other questions. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. Have you any interest in uh, doing anything else? Would you like to uh, write a book one day? Do you have any any 
uh, creative plans, like personal goals that you would like to work on? Oh God. Um, I mean, I have, I have, uh, ADHD. So the, 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 the thing that I would love to do changes just about once a week. Um, so I would, I, I have always had a, um, since I was a kid, I always wanted to, to write a book to, to actually have like, um, a novel or two out there in the world. That would be, that would be great. Um, and I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. At, at, at the moment I'm mostly looking forward to, 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 to working on something that isn't Baldur's Gate as much as I really, really love Baldur's Gate three. Um, knowing that I'm going to like at some point we'll sit down and look at something fresh and get to play around in, uh, with new characters or in a new world kind of whenever, um, whatever, whatever comes down the line, like new scenarios, that's going to be going back to that nearly embryonic stage of creativity where it's like the, the, the world is your oyster and, uh, you can, you, you can do not quite whatever you want, but very nearly. Uh, I'm very excited for that. Yeah, anything is possible again. I, yeah. yeah, you've worked at this thing for six years. That that seems pretty fair. Yeah, want to try no, something it, it'll else. be it'll be very exciting to work on to work on something new. Yeah, I mean, I I you guys don't typically do things like uh, DLC per se, but I mean, I you know, further adventures even with the stories that you have, you know, I'd be I think it'd be fabulous if you could, you know, what happens to Carl like after she has to go back. In, uh, into hell if that's what happens in your playthrough um, you know just play through that or how how what happens to Starion you know would he would he work towards world domination you know I, <laughs> there's so much there's so much you guys could work yeah. through and or maybe you won't do any of it at all maybe we'll just move on to different projects um yeah I mean like what what is what is coming next for Larian uh will be will be announced all in good time and um that's uh and you'll you'll be uh, right there chugging chugging away at whatever undead creepy they give you next here's here's hoping (laughs) okay all right well we're about to to tie this up so we were going to ask our stupid nerd question of the week and i have this week as i mentioned earlier in the show what is your favorite and least favorite undead character in fiction in media and you cannot choose your own stuff uh so i will start to give you a little bit of time to think um i think my favorite undead in fiction i'd say uh more recent time well this is exactly recent but 2013's in the flesh which was a very short lit i think it's itv it got two seasons where it's uh, what would happen in the society if, if after a zombie apocalypse like they find a drug and a way to make zombies uh, medicated and debilitated, mm. and it's it's really fascinating uh, look at th- that concept. And it's like these people, some of them remember being zombies, and some of them feel like society is stifling them, and the truth that their true selves are zombies, and they have to deal with like all the foul. Like, what happens if you ate your brother? Like, you ate your brother, and now you're back home. How would you work that out with mom and dad? That would be difficult. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be tricky. Yeah, In the Flesh is great. I love In the Flesh. Uh, my least favorite. Ooh, you know, I used to love Walking Dead, but that that kind of that really 
Ooh, post COVID, things went downhill mm-hmm. real fast. Uh, I think I'm going to have to say that. Uh, I think The Walking Dead, unfortunately, especially Fear of the Walking Dead. I have a friend, Eric Kane at Forbes, and he hates that show with a passion. And okay. he's always getting, he's always getting, he's always getting the walk, the Fear of the Walking Dead fanboys coming at him all the time, day and night. Uh, so I, I join him in that. I, I do not like that show. Uh, that's my choice. What would be what would be yours? What is your favorite undead fiction or media? Uh, what's your least favorite? Um, I think I think to to stay on topic, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with vampires and depictions of vampires. And probably my um, I will say my least favorite kind of depiction of vampires is maybe um, the the movie version of I Am Legend. Um, because I had I I had read the book which or the novella, um, which has kind of like an interesting, nuanced kind of take on like post-apocalyptic um, kind of vampirism, basically. And it felt like the movie took that was like, okay, cool, post-apocalyptic vampirism. They yeeted all the subtlety and all the interest kind of right out the window. Um, and made them just had an opportunity to, to to do something really interesting and just made them mindless infected yeah they, they were they were basically zombies they, yeah they, they were, were basically vampires like, and they turned yeah. them zombies zombies with sharp teeth um, they have good dental they have a good dental insurance absolutely uh my my favorite favorite depiction of vampirism especially for recently it's, it's, it's gotta be what we do in the shadows like it's it's fun <laughs> and it's stupid and it's subversive in some ways, but really hammy in others. And um, but but always just fun. And um, like both the both the movie and the TV series, I I desperately desperately love them both. Um, so not not quite in keeping with uh, with the starring, but uh, the the humor is just so good and it's. It's it's smart and it makes me smile every single time. That's a good choice. I I do. Love. I have not seen the latest season, but I have seen the first two, and I love I love that movie. It's it's like when I first, when I after Love and Thunder, I was like, why do people like Taika Waititi? Like, what, what was that about? Because I it was bad. Off. I was like, oh, well, were we wrong? Like, what happened? And then I went back <laughs> and watched what we did. In the show's like, no, actually, he's very he can be very funny and very. No. Clever, yeah. yeah. He's very good. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not, not sure about Love and Thunder. Um don't know don't know what happened there. Ragnarok was great. Had a had a blast with that. But anyway. Um No, everyone, that's a, everyone, I like I like your answers. Those are good answers. Thank you very much. And and you should not get in trouble because Larian does not have a contract with Marvel or Disney. So <laughs> you can bad mouth you can bad mouth the MCU as much as you want. Is there anything else you'd like to to, to share, Stephen? Um, maybe not. If if you want people to be able to follow you, where can they find you on social media? Um, I don't know. I, I generally discourage people from following me because I mean, mostly my my Twitter feed at the moment is just me retweeting amazing fan art. So if if that's what you want, if you want a stream of other people's really cool work, um, you can find me on Twitter at nuckpang, n u c k p a n g. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, um, I mean, mostly I just want to reiterate, like, thank you for having me on. Thank you for, to all the fans who are 
who are enjoying the game and um it has been it's just been a a, a hell of a journey and um uh still still the head is still swimming a little bit from from release and and everything was followed so no it's, it's awesome the reaction is great uh, thank you for me. You know, I had a, a medical scare at the end of July, beginning of August with uh, a brain issue. And so mm. the last month playing this game, it was kind of a little bit like rehabilitation for me. It helped me to, you know, as I slowly recover and try to get to a better state of uh, mental being, this mm-hmm. game was a big help. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate you guys made a good game and I appreciate it. It was something that has entranced, inspired so many people and has really reinvigorated the RPG genre. And for so many reasons, thank you, Steven. Thank you to your coworkers. Uh, I love the game so much. I really do appreciate it. It's awesome what you guys thank have you accomplished so here. That all means a lot. All right. Well, friends, we are going to cut it off here. This uh, podcast YouTube show of CultureScape is sponsored by Bain Books Publishing and imprint of Simon & Schuster with support from Young Voices, a journalism organization. Uh, editing is done by my good friend and competent professional, Chris Hollywicky, who makes me look like I'm so much better at this than I actually am. And of course, to all of you for your support and interest. Until next time, my friends, keep geeking out. <laughs>